Welcome, dear listeners, to episode 30 of the Jacobs Podcast. I'd like to use this milestone to say thanks for listening. I started the podcast because I wanted to create a forum that was proud of Australia, that explored ideas, and also built better individuals. As you probably also know, I do the podcast in my spare time, and I'm always looking for fresh ideas, feedback, and I really want to hear from you about things you like and things you don't like, or things you want to hear more of or less of on the show. I heard some great advice this week from the late Jim Rohn, who was a self-help guru, and he said that be humble when the amounts are few, and it's really something that stayed with me and helped me to produce this podcast all the way up into episode 30. So I'll continue to produce good content, but I really need support from people like yourself, people tuning in and listening. So please remember to rate, get in touch, or drop me a line at seanjacobs.com.au around new ideas or, again, what you'd like to hear more of and what you'd like to hear less of on the podcast. Thanks for listening, and until next time. Okay, well, welcome, dear listeners, to another edition of the Jacobs Podcast. Today, joining me is Sam Rebecki. Sam is a marketing and media advisor based in Melbourne, and he recently wrote a really good piece on the Spectator blog, which um, caught my eye and was a great read, Sam. Uh, firstly, welcome to the Jacobs Podcast. Nice to be on. Thanks for having me. No problems. And I know I've sort of coordinated a bit and um, to sort of get this together, and I'm really thankful for you taking time to, to come on. And as I mentioned, you, you recently wrote a great article, I thought, on the Spectator blog no, that you know, looked at the Victorian state election in particular, but it yeah. just sort of touched on as well the elevation of consumption politics, what seems like the mm. evacuation of values from public life and the lack of yeah. distinction between the major parties. And I just thought it'd be a really good idea to have you on for sort of two reasons and one I think it's just good to discuss um, elections one because they're sort of not going out of fashion and obviously yeah, the federal no. election coming up this year and yeah. um, just also the second reason is the trends that you're talking about you know social capital the decline of trust the sort of you know some of the things I mentioned in the introduction there um, are just trends that are sort of, I guess, upstream and downstream of politics um, that I mm. think are just really worth talking about. And there's not too many people in Australia that I can see who are talking about them now. But one of the first things I wanted to ask you, Sam, is do you think the parties are that indistinguishable? Um, maybe you could just talk a bit about the recent Victorian election and how sort of yeah. things seemed pretty sort of... Um, you know, equivalent in terms of the two major parties down there. Yeah, definitely. I don't think. I think it's it's probably a stretch to say. I don't. I I don't think they're similar in a lot of ways. You can look at any. You can look at at least in Australia, where you can look at Liberal and Labor Party, and their policies are quite distinct. You're not going to find similarities, but I think I, I think the similarities lie probably in the the style of politics. Exactly what they're pandering to. And they're pandering to a sort of lowest common denominator of um, of the constituents in each electorate. So they're they're not looking at they're not looking at sort of inspiring individuals to act politically and sort of seek a future with a particular party. But they're looking to sort of give to voters exactly what they sort of you know might you know push their hand to put a vote for them in the the. Um, in the ballot box so in the federal election what really struck uh, in the victorian state election sorry mm. what what really struck me was just the sort of the tiny kind of 
minute sort of handout policies that were coming from both sides. They really were just trying to get those few extra votes over the line. And there were ones just, you know, like the Labor Party would have one about, you know, tampons in schools. And then Liberals would have, oh, you get a rebate on your plasma TV. And it just seemed, just seemed like I was like, is this really what politics is all about? Like, mm-hmm. we have these, these institutions that have kind of, you know, given rise to the size we live in. This is how we rule ourselves. And, you know, is, mm-hmm. is this really where politics begins and ends? You know, whether you're going to get a rebate on your plasma TV. Mm-hmm. And there's something more that like citizens should be inspired to see in politics and also sort of want from politicians and want from um our like public space Mm. so that's what sort of brought up writing the article it was sort of a mixture of just you know just i was like hang on a second politics needs to be more than this 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 Mm. mustn't be all what it what it should be and then also just a couple of books reading in the time about what you're talking about the social capital mm. about those kind of underlying structures that sort of mm. innate or good political um real good a sort of political realm to work mm. um effectively. yeah it was was really sort of made me want to write that piece so yeah yeah and look as i said sam it's a really good um piece because it does tie together a lot of different things and what sort of struck me and you touched on it there was just kind of the indistinguishable like the handout kind of um, nature of things and I think you cite 3AW's calculations that um, and again for listeners this is in the Victorian state election that the equivalent of the $23,000 for a Labor vote I presume this is per capita and thirteen and a half thousand for a ballot for the Liberals and I just thought that was just um sort of really breaking it down and, you know, consumption style vote for me yeah. and you get this. And um, when you sort of put it in, when, you know, when you cite stark numbers like that, it does make it kind of very, very interesting. But I'm glad you say, um, though, that you can see the difference in the policies because I think that's something that I guess people, it's an easy assumption to make, I suppose, where you think that, you know, people say that the parties are pretty much exactly the same. And I think even when you hear figures or numbers like that, they're sort of both proposing a very active role for government in the sort of public sphere with sort of figures like that in terms of dollar amounts for what you can get out of each policy initiative. But I just think that, you know, at, at a core philosophical sort of if you put a lens on the two different parties they do have a very different approach to the role of the individual and the role of the state and i don't think it's very apparent sometimes when you have sort of consumption politics in your face all the time but because yeah. I, I think the i think where we get sort of and going that sort of philosophical level mm-hmm. they're definitely they're completely ideological ideological sides are coming completely different mm-hmm. traditions of um politics mm-hmm. so um, mm. What we're really looking at when we saw, the, we're looking at the battleground of politics when we're sort of talking about how they're not different at all. And that is this really reduced consumer politics, which is about what that consumer get it, can get out of the government over the next three to four years. Mm. So it's, there's these huge, obviously like huge philosophical and ideological difference between the parties, but when it sort of comes down, push comes to shove, mm. they're fighting over very sort of no difference whatsoever. And that's where it's sort of, I feel like the, the battleground for politics has come. Mm. And it's sort of, it's, it's worrying in a sense, but understandable of why we're there. Mm. Because, and I, this is sort of what I'm alluding to in the article where, where we've come to the point where 
we're not really interested in talking about the development of our own communities, uh, the places we live, which is the sort of foundation of our political structure. We have people represented to, to elected to represent where we live and the people we live with and a sort of common vision for how we want to live together. Mm. And to now representatives representing, you know, how many, you know, hundreds of thousands of different individual viewpoints and individual needs. Mm. And when you try to reduce that, it really comes down to, you know, a bit of a handout here or there or, um, or you know, sort of what service can I help you with? It's not about, you know, enabling the community to have a have a vision that they've come to together and enabling them to actually reach that. So mm. that's sort of the aspirational side of politics. And I feel like the fact that our society is so individualistic and it has so um, mm. just not much an ability to sort of take care of those around us. Um, yeah, we're sort of losing that ability to have, to grab that operational side of politics and yields. Yeah, and I, I sense that, you know, that sort of individualism can kind of be seen as code for selfishness or individual consumption, which kind of misses the mark. I think that, you know, you look, for example, at someone like Robert Menzies, who founded the Liberal Party, his whole thing mm. was... and. Again, this is a thing that goes back throughout sort of history with some of the great kind of thinkers. But the whole idea was, you know, being an individual is so, you, you know, you're cultivating strong individuals is the whole reason behind it is to cultivate strong communities in turn yeah. and sort yeah. of become good, you know, be, and also just being a good citizen where you're not sort of a consumer or part of the sort of consumer political culture that we seem to have now. Like, what do you think... You sort of canvassed this before, but what do you think's driven the consumption politics? And it's probably not an easy question to answer, but it's sort of this idea, this concept that sort of people are just pushing the shopping trolley. I have this image in my head just down the, sh you know, like down the um, yeah. aisle, and yeah. it's kind of like, oh, what can I get here? I've, you know, twenty three k for a vote. What, what's what in your view, Sam? Do you think has driven this? I think it's. I think it comes down to identity. It's fu it's funny that sort of we talk so much about identity politics, and it's really sort of like I think it's played out on both sides of politics. So the right probably doesn't realise they play out identity politics as much as you know they pretend the left does. Um, but I think it's it really comes down to the fact that we've lost a sort of common identity. And that identity isn't, you know, I'm not sort of conflating that with some sort of ethno-nationalism or something like that. It's just the identity of, just like a civic identity of, you know, I am a, I am a citizen. Mm. And in that respect, I'm equal to everyone else in the society around me. And when you lose that civic identity and the kind of institutions that encourage and develop that disposition of, of a citizen, mm. it comes to... It shifts back on those those sort of those other identities, which have really come to the forefront over the last thirty years or so. Those are, those individual identities, the lived experiences of individuals, and the identities formed around that. Mm. Um, and so, it comes very hard to have. It's 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 hard to hold yourself equal in a society where you see yourself as different to everyone else, and you see everyone else as different from each other. To have just mm. a a, a quite like simple civic identity where you're a citizen, you have particular responsibilities, and you share those with everyone else in society. Mm -hmm. As a 
provides a great power in then sort of raising everyone to the level, uh, to the same level where then they can start enacting in politics and start sort of creating a vision for the future that they can work to together rather than it falling back, collapsing mm. on the individual needs of people it sort of it sort of places up on a pedestal and sort of encourages them to move on so i think yeah i think the fact that we've lost a common identity i think that we sort of have lived off the the dregs of sort of the development of nation states from like the 19th century 18th 19th century through the 20th century mm -hmm. um, and so there's very there are very strong national identities that developed mm -hmm. and we kind of sort of lived off that so i think we need to come to a for yeah, for um, for us to come to be able to utilize mm. politics and representative democracy, a liberal democracy that we have, the great gift we have, then we're going to have to discover some common identity that we can share and use that as a stepping point to um, become politically active. Yeah, and I th I think that's sort of like a there's a healthy you can have a healthy nationalism i think you know like or a healthy patriotism or you know a, a love of country that's not sort of um doused in in you know a sort of ultra unhealthy nationalism like and yeah. i think in australia at least sort of my understanding and all of my reading on australian history points to the fact that we've had a pretty decent balance of this sort of thing here mm. um yeah where you know there's a sort of ethos of you know pragmatism and sort of um, right down to social attitudes of sort of sitting in front of the cab thanking the bus driver and egalitarianism and a pragmatism yeah. and you see that sort of permeate throughout our politics and our institutions here which has been mm. quite kind of healthy and quite levelling and equalising which I think is a, a sort of very positive thing and um, you know if the fence is broken you fix it and that's sort of been the national kind of attitude and a, a cultural attitude very much so i do think in that kind of sense in australia that culture's sort of been upstream of of politics but i just note as well what you said about identity politics and it's kind of funny because that's sort of the only kind of game in town recently if you're a young or any person who's following politics it's like the only public discussion one can have it seems is around identity politics and highlighting difference and um yeah. we just sort of I've kind of lost that common identity, as you say, Sam, about bringing people together and having, you know, a strong kind of narrative. It, what are your sort of thoughts there on what's sort of driven that? I've, you know, I remember a few episodes ago, I had David Flint on, and we sort of talked about sort of the, and he's written a lot about this too, and a lot of other people about sort of the decline in the teaching of civics in in classrooms and, and things like yeah. that. Do you think that sort of partly has a bit to do with it? Yeah, I think there's. It's a very broad. I suppose it's yeah. To answer, it's it's a very broad trend. Probably, it's hard to even put it like star point at. Mm. And I think it's it's mainly to do with the sort of socialization of a lot of the sort of um, the aspects of life that were once sort of part of the private life. Um, I think there's a, there's a great writer called Hannah Arendt. A um, mm in the 50s mm -hmm. and she's about the sort of very slow transition and she's talking the states of centuries here mm. of transition once the sort of development of the social kind of aspect of our society um mm. it starts to sort of it's a very mm. it's very hard to align between politics society or social kind of realm 
and then the private life. Mm. Uh, and sort of once sort of the, the social life developed, then the sort of the private life sort of blends into that because it takes into account sort of the way we live, those sort of base sort of instinctual things we do, and that's all a part of society. Mm. And then that sort of comes in, then politics starts sort of taking taking responsibility for some aspects of that. And I think we've sort of, we've really started seeing how that's developing from the fact that, you know, education is such a political issue. Mm. Um, sort of very basic, like, things to do with sexuality and to do with, you know, um, food and mm. housing and everything to do with sort of the base mm. um, base aspects of life are now social and political spaces. So you've got this blending together of basically everything that is, um, everything that we do in society as a political issue. Mm. Yeah, so that's, it's, it's quite, that's interesting. It's kind of this um, lack of distinction between, yeah, as you say, the sort of family, the kinship mm. group and the sort of public. And I think there's a clear distinction there that's probably not always understood or mashed together i think a lot of sort of progressive thinkers tend to join them together whereas it's yeah. like i think probably a conservative philosophical approach would be you know the trying to bring i guess public civic virtues to a family is probably mm. not going to work too well in this in yeah. the same way that bringing you know like I remember Jonah Goldberg, who's an American um, social commentator, is like, you know, if your cousin rocks up on your doorstep, um, you know, and doesn't have a place to sleep, you're probably going to let them in. And, you know, so it's a very yeah. sort of com communist sort of style or you don't charge your kids for food that they eat yeah. out of the fridge. But, um, yeah. you know, so it's kind of like you run the family home different to how you run the civic um, yeah, definitely. civics it's, and it's quite, it's like yeah. pre-political in a sense, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's, it's not politics. Or politics is something you go to sort of you know create a common world. It, it goes beyond the private. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's a completely different kind of way of life. You do things for like say family and those close to you that you would never do for some some you know random person mm. in society. Mm. Um, so you're completely right with that. And when you start blending that, it sort of it has a sort of dual. I suppose it has a dual kind of effect of it. It brings up those private matters mm. to political level where we're all sort of, we're talking about, you know, how kids are grown up, how kids are raised, mm. how, you know, what our education should be, what they should be taught in as a, as a whole sort of political class. Mm. And at the same time, it drags politics down to the level of, you know, of the politics down to the level of making sure, you know, people are fed and things like that and it doesn't have the same sort of aspirational sort of place as it once was. Mm. People don't leave their private life to enter politics, to enter the public space. Mm. Um, yeah. And so I think that's a very distinct difference in politics from probably, you know, a century ago mm. where it was really a, a public space where you left the confines of your private abode and you entered into a public space to, you know, look to create a new and mm. a new and renewed and common world for everyone to live in, mm. but it was yeah so distinct from a life in the home. But now yeah, with the so conflated, politics is concerning itself with mm. um, yeah every single private matter under the sun, and it I'm not sure it has the ability as much to actually you know I'm not sure politics has the ability to develop our country mm. in the way. Well, yeah, look, I yeah, and I'm sure yeah. we'll get to that. I'm, Definitely. I, 
just sort of that's an interesting way to look at it because something I was looking at recently, and I don't want to be sort of too political here, but I remember reading, and for some I don't know why I jumped into it, but it was Kevin Rudd's um, speech to the Centre for Independent Studies. This is prior to him becoming, I think, yeah. even the opposition. So it was two thousand six when he was sort of doing a sort of quite a fair bit of, um, I guess, kind of work on his philosophical sort of basis for a lot of his. Um, but it's a it's quite a lengthy speech that he made to the CIS back in 2006. But one of the yep. things, like, when I became aware of this sort of distinction between the sort of private realm, the family, the kinship group, and the sort of broader civic, um, you know, rules and civic engagement, you know, in the sort of public square, is, is, you know, you can easily start to spot when, you know, those public values... Um, people prescribe them for the private domain and the private for the public. And one of the things, if you read, if you're aware of that distinction, and, you know, I'll put a link to it in the show notes to back to this speech by Kevin Rudd, it's kind of, it it mashes all of them together. And I think that's sort of, it's sort of a, it, it undermines the sort of civic aspirations that you're talking about. And it kind of drives, yep. like you say, this sort of lowest common denominator type politics in the public square. And I think... It's kind of, in a way, that's it's kind of obvious of what that's what you know. Politicians, I guess, people are easy to blame them for this sort of trend, but in a way, it's almost like they're responding to incentives, almost. Yeah. One of the um, I just remembered Hannah Arendt. You quoted her that um, I can't. It's something I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's kind of like <laughs> that. Um, you know, every generation is invaded by barbarians you know every few years or you know every each generation we call them children and i think like that's kind yep. of this thing where it's you know you need to cultivate rules you know values norms all these sorts of good things um mm. you know in the private sphere but then also a, a sort of common civic identity as well and if there's no yeah. narrative around that to hang your hat on especially if you're you know, for young parents or, you know, for the current sort of generation coming through now, then uh, other than identity politics, then it's kind of a very troubling kind of sign and it definitely drives this consumer politics that you, you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, like, in her, it's in The Human Condition, a book by her, mm-hmm. um, Hannah, and she, she sort of talks, uh, her ideal is quite lofty, but she talks about the, the kind of the Greek, almost like, the Greek polis is a metaphor for you know how politics should be, and just that sort of it's 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 quite interesting to see it. It's the sort of understanding that you leave your home, you leave your life once you've once you you become a citizen, like you own your own place, you've you know mastered sort of mm. the base sort of aspects of life. Then you sort of you know walk up the hill to the polis, and you're in the public space, and you act out, and you start to work with your fellow citizens to create a future for your state mm. and i think that's yeah i think that's like a sort of aspiration of politics that needs to be reflected on a lot more sort of the fact that politics is pol- politics is distinct and special from anything else in society it's a, a sort of it's the only place where we look to the future and we look to sort of a um develop where we're going as a society and a um a nation mm. so to be so focused on, to be fo- so focused on, uh, I, I, mm. I'm not not demeaning the importance of government in sort of helping those that are needy. Mm. If you are purely focused on just survival, 
of a society rather than the development of it. And I think that's, yeah, something that's quite worrying. Um, yeah. And I think that's really, um, I personally haven't seen it. I'm not sure if you could remember one, but current politicians in Australia that have really have an inspiring um, vision for what Australia can be mm. in the future. It's, yeah, it's very hard to come by. Definitely. Is there any redeemable feature, though, Sam, do you think, in our current politics? I think, you know, what something I always sort of think about is, you know, is it the politics that's broken or is it the way that it's covered is broken? Because I think sort of you've got these two versions of politics, and I personally call them, I need to write a piece on this, but sort of like this politics one and politics two. So, like, politics one's like all of the sort of, I guess, the negative things in its consumption politics, it's freebile, this freebile, pardon me, media culture, self-serving, things seem frenetic. It's not really any base yeah. meaning there. But the other side is like politics too, and sort of in my case, and, you know, I've been able to work, um, you know, as a public servant, a civil servant, and then also, you know, in political officers over the years and been very fortunate and seen that as a, as a public service role. But you get a chance to look under the bonnet of government and see... Yeah. what the cabinet process looks like, uh, what rules look like, you know, um, legislative compliance, like detailed policy analysis and public service and how these sorts of wheels kind of turn. And that's quite an impressive thing to look at that I don't think a lot of people can see looking at from the outside is just how yeah. uh, decent and thriving a Westminster system that we have in Australia can be, yeah. um, but it's just not a sexy thing to cover on social media. So is there any sort of distinction there you want to touch on or is there any redeemable feature there where it's sort of not all doom and gloom? Yeah, no, I think, personally, I think I think our political system is great. I think it's, I think it's a resilient system that is, it will probably it will handle a lot worse than what it's mm. handling now. Mm. Um, and mm. I, think, I think the article... Uh, at least the article when I'm talking about, I'm not talking about politics as such. It's more, I suppose, it's it's the, the voter side of things. It's not about the politicians or the mm. or about the the structures in place. It's about the kind of the kind of pressures that we as a society are going to start placing on our governments mm. if we don't start trying to build cars, uh, rebuild some kind of civic disposition, mm. um, and. I think, I think it will just start. We'll start. It's we'll start putting a lot more pressures on government in ways that um, it's not meant to handle. If if um, our democratic system has developed in a state where um, people have a healthy understanding of their responsibilities as citizens mm. over the last, mm. say, for Australia in the last hundred years, then hopefully, hopefully, it's resilient enough. Mm. But I worry that if we start to put pressures on it that it was never developed to um, to survive, then um, are we going to be faced with well, two sides of things, you know, a government that's so big that, you know, we're going to have a lot of a lot of constraints on freedom just because we can't ourselves can't take responsibility for each other. We're going to have to have a government that takes responsibility for all of us. Mm. Uh, and then also are we going to then have a society where we're never really going to feel equal because we're never willing to act in a way as equals. Mm. Um, so, I, yeah, I think, the, I think our system is very resilient, but I look more to society as the issue in, in place um, 
and I hope, yeah, I hope our political system is resilient enough. But I think there's a lot of there's a lot of um, I suppose there's a lot of assumptions that go along with the development of political system. Assumptions about sort of the state or the nature of humans, which are more cultural than actually um, than actually uh, like a, a state of nature. Mm. Yeah, and I think is the fact that we were such a homogenous society we had such sort of common values was something that was probably perceived as more innate than it is um and so yeah it'll be very interesting to see how our system can handle um the fact that our society is no longer like that well i think um those are all good points and one of the sort of earlier pieces I ever got published was on the Westminster system in, in PNG or in the South Pacific. And, you know, I do think that, you know, the Westminster system is, you know, well, democracy for one is pretty absorbing, you know, in terms of being able to take big shocks, but a Westminster system in particular. And if you sort of think otherwise, it's kind of um, looked to Papua New Guinea where there's been a lot of, you know, crises, you know, institutional crises since yeah. independence in 1975. So do have a lot of patience and time for the Westminster system as an institutional formal system in general. And, the you know, the other point too is, you know, de Tocqueville, and we did talk about this before we sort of um, hopped on air, but it was his chief, and this is the Frenchman who was the great observer of American politics in the 19th century, you know, one of the chief takeaways that he mentioned was that, you know, democracy needs citizens, not just consumers. And I think that's a really good sort of almost headline banner point to the point that you're making in, you know, in, this, in your recent Spectator piece. Um, and I think it's just, you know, his big thing was that he'd found, his big insight was he'd found the success of America and he called it the Rotary Club. And, um, yeah. and I think that's just exactly that sort of, that civic or that common civic identity in that you know something that everyone can hang their hat on i think that's really important um but and not having that as you've outlined sam just sort of highlights the you know how we're just going to have this sort of constantly driven lowest common denominator politics if we're not appealing to anything higher i think um yeah alexi de tugaville i think he made the point that the greatest threat to american democracy you know i suppose we can sort of accept that as any liberal democracy is the threat of the tyranny of the the majority, not of an individual, but of the majority. The fact that you know there is the ability for mm. um, for a as you say, like lowest common denominator mm. um, majority um, understanding of um, of political system to emerge and to completely take over and hold power, mm. um, and not having yeah that aspirational. Um, common, I suppose, caring and charitable kind of side of citizenship that is present, like the Rotary Club and any of those clubs. And I think one reason, I think it's terrible that there's so many of those clubs have, um, and those sort of organisations have started to sort of lose influence and lose their membership in Australia. I, th I don't see really any other, um, any other organisations kind of coming in its place, I suppose, sort of so i think social media is kind of is sort of filling a it's filling like a, a kind of social void of it a kind of social need void of it mm. but it doesn't have the social media doesn't have the same um same coherent um structure as it was would when you actually have to you know go out of your home and actually talk with people oh for sure you know, i think yeah 
questions about um, whatever you're doing with your organisation. And that's one of the things we've talked about on the podcast previously is just kind of, and Niall Ferguson writes a lot about this, the um, British historian about, you know, social media is all well and good, but it's no match for um, boots Mm. on the ground, like human face-to-face interactions and real friends. And I guess that speaks to the point about that sort of combined civic action. It's, um, you know, social media fills a void. It's, it's, that appetite or feels a bit of a sort of um, a false demand around um, all those things we sort of crave as associations as as humans but um, just flicking now center what people can do um, you do talk about a couple of things to build sort of social capital or um, yeah that sort of civic kind of um, mindedness what are you what are some prescriptions that you think are very useful I think first and foremost, I think you have to, I suppose, have the humility to um, to take responsibility for those that are closest to you. Don't worry about, you know, don't worry about, say, trying to stop poverty or, in, you know, another country or um, trying to solve, you know, climate change or something like that on your own. I think the, the first step you need to do is sort of look, be humble enough to think that, you know, my lot in life might be just to make sure that, you know, my mum's taken care of and my, like, brother or sister or my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I suppose, with that kind of working, I was seeing that as your kind of, I suppose, your your place in life, then look to sort of see how you can help others close to you more broadly in your community um, through... That could be associations through um, through sports clubs, um, but be always focused on actually taking responsibility for people, building up these places so that they can include more people and they can be a place for more people to belong. Um, and then also, if you are so inclined, join a political party. I think I, it's 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 quite crazy what the what the such small percentage of people who are actually involved in um, a political party are, mm. and a lot. Um, just from my experience, uh, usually involved for the whole theatrics of the situation, <laughs> having presence for sort of building a community. Mm-hmm. But again, like people, people go straight for you know getting involved in federal politics or something like that. We need more people at just a local level, just in say council politics or in state politics, where it might not be as sexy. Mm-hmm. It's really, we can be having connection with um, those around you and just widening your your web of human connections mm. and using that to enable change rather than using brute force through, I suppose, through, through developing that web of human connection. That's real power. But people sort of conflate strength. They try to, you know, mm. brutally try to communicate what their, what their will is and change the world without ever having to sort of, you know, use... Know, the parable of connections of human connection to try to make a mm. even a difference in the community so yeah get get involved take responsibility step by step start with your suppose setting like um um mm. uh draw this and take responsibility for yourself oh yeah well look you uh, beat me to it sam i was just about to say tidy up your room <laughs> yeah yeah something like that <laughs> And then, yeah, and then, you know, take responsibility for those around you. They're the ones you're going to be able to have the biggest effect on. Mm. Um, and then from there, try, try to make a difference. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's, 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 that's, that's the kind of place that breeds a civic disposition of citizenship. It's not, 
it's not being in federal politics, making your speeches in parliament. That that doesn't breed um, like an understanding of what it means to be a citizen. It's really, um, yeah, about sort of coming to a common understanding, about compromising with the people around you and coming to understand a common vision with those people around you. That's that's the the aspiration of citizenship. Mm. Um, and if we can find ways to do that bit by bit, you know, even, you know, I've once I wrote that article, it really, like, for me, it was sort of like a moment of reflection. And yeah, I think as a young person, you always you always have high ideals and aspirations to what you want to do in the world. Mm. But it, it was just sort of like a small reminder for me to sort of take check and go, okay, no, there's... There's, there's very important things close to home that I need to be remembering, you know. Mm. You know, make sure, you know, my wife's taken care of, make sure, you know, seeing my mum and dad, mm-hmm. um, you know, those kind of things. And I think that's that's where we're missing out on. Um, that's why we're sort of losing the best we can in politics because we're losing that sort of aspiration of um, human connection. That's a great point. Um, and it's something that... Um is very difficult to remind yourself of these days when you see, I guess, what, you know, on social media, yes, but what publicly gets rewarded about sort of chasing, you know, like, I guess, and you sort of touched on this, it's kind of the fire and brimstone or, you know, everything sort of dramatised to the point of being, you know, like making a knockdown speech in Parliament or all these sorts of glamorised things, whereas it's sort of the daily hum or the day-to-day um, civic kind of culture which moves things along, not sort of yeah. the the big plays of history, I suppose, as important as those are. Um, yeah. And, and it takes a lot of humility, which I don't think is very in fashion at all. No. Uh, you just, you know, you look at Instagram or something like that, I don't think humility is something that drives that mm. um, part of the world. So no, that's right. It's, uh, yeah. And, you know, Tom Frames, someone who... Um, has written a fair bit about humility in the public sphere. I've really wanted to get him on the podcast, but much like yourself, Sam, and just sort of wrapping up now, I mean, you have touched on this, but, you know, and you've sort of said politics should be about, you know, development of communities, something that's distinct and special, the place where we sort of look to the future. I always think, you know, I've got a space for John Howard when he said that politics is about the contest of ideas and that's why it's such an important game and it's something I always sort of hold close to me but is there anything else that you want to add to that about what politics should be about? I think yeah I think he's very right when he talks about the contest of ideas I think that's sort of what what the political space um, exists for but I think the political end is to come to a compromise and a actual decision on what we're going to do as a community as a state as a nation mm. Um, so yes, it's a space where you know contested ideas are contested, but the very end of contesting those ideas is actually coming to a common way of living. And this isn't this isn't something we're ever actually going to come to, mm. but we come to. It's a kind of a strange sort of paradox. We come to a common way of living when we kind of we constantly try to come to a common way of living, um, and that's what sort of the political realm allows us to do. Um, but yeah, if we're not, if we're if we're trying to be, if we're focused on ourselves, and then politics only give to us what is common to all of us, then we're never really going to step up into the public realm and try to contest those different ideas. Um, it's yeah, it's going to be very simplistic, and mm. so it's going to be quite boring. 
question time won't be as interesting. <laughs> well, um, again, listeners, the article by Sam Rebecca is shop news, politics and consumer goods are two different things. I'll put it in the show notes as well as a few other things we've discussed on this episode as well. Um, but again, I thought it was a really fantastic article for what it sort of mentions and the trends are definitely with us. And I don't think anyone is sort of writing like Sam is at the moment or picking out these trends. Well, they are, but not, I guess, able to bring them together in a way that sort of matches what sort of current politics is, is saying. So I really commend you, Sam, for putting this piece together. And um, yeah, and I think, you know, we need to definitely have more discussions like this um yeah the years and um yeah no agreed and um and um so sam rebecca thanks so much for joining me on the jacobs podcast and um definitely looking forward to another chat sometime soon right no appreciate it sean